right. <clears throat> now that we've gotten the Astros out of the way, um, yeah, so welcome to RUF. Glad you're here. Like Jack said, thanks for bra- braving the elements. Uh, this is RUF. It's a Christian ministry on campus. We're here for Christians and non-Christians. So if it's your first night especially, I just want to say thanks for being here. We want to help you explore what it means to follow Jesus while you're in college. And uh, my name is Willis Weatherford. I'm not a good person, but Jesus loves me and he loves you. And that makes a big difference in my life. It can make a really big difference in your life. I'd love to talk more with you about how it's made a difference in my life, how it can make a difference in your life. Tonight we're going to look at uh, the difference that it makes, like seeing God, knowing his ways. So um, when I was dating, when I started dating the woman who's now my wife, Mary, um, like 20, when was it? 2010, I was in 2020, that's not that long ago. <laughs> We've been married for almost 10 years. Round of applause. Yeah, thank you. yeah, yeah. That is the grace of the Lord. Um, it is. Uh, okay, so when we're dating, uh, I wanted to understand her, you know? It's like you're fascinated with this person. Some of you feel this way right now about somebody. I was fascinated with her. I wanted to understand what she liked, what she cared about, what she was good at. You know, I had, a, I had this document. It's like, you know, favorite fruit, raspberries. You know, I still got to memorize. Favorite chocolate, lint, 80% dark. Okay? That is the chocolate. It's changed. It's a different chocolate now. Um, you know, I had all these different things, like movies, books, all these things, because um, I realized, I was realizing as I got to know her more and more and more, like, shoot, y'all, I think I want to spend the rest of my life with this person, you know, which comes not just from, you know, the fun infatuation stage and like feeling so attracted, like those things are important, but that feeling of wanting to be with someone, live your life with them, live your life for them, serving them helping them become great, that comes from actually understanding somebody's ways. And that doesn't happen just by like, you know, the odd date. It takes work, study. Um, I wanted, I, I still want to spend my life loving her, serving her, caring for her, blessing her. It's called being a husband, you know? And uh, I don't do a good job of it, honestly. I'm a bad husband. Just like I was a bad boyfriend. I'm not, how can you be a good husband if you're a bad person? Which I am, right? I'm not a good person. But she loves me. And I love her. And that changes our lives. I, so I'm trying to paint this picture for you of like, this is the same as our relationship with God. If you know God's ways, if you understand who he really is, why he does what he does. Like, why does he do what he does? Why, why did he come as Jesus to save us? Why does he do anything? Why did he make the world? If you can understand that, you can love him. You can have a relationship with him. You can follow him. And that's what I want us to do tonight. I want us to understand God's ways more. And we see, we see his ways. He, he actually wrote Revelation in these specific chapters for us so that we would understand his ways. So we would know his ways. Like You can know what God loves. You can know what he cares about. You can know what he wants to do. And you can know the way that he does it. So tonight we're going to see the ways of God in three parts, okay? God's way of ruling, God's way of gathering, and God's way of winning. His way of ruling, gathering, and winning. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you that you reveal your ways to us. Not just orders for us to follow, 
not just truths for us to believe, um, but your ways. You invite us into your own mind that we might see and love the God who made us. So we ask that you would do these things for us, that you would help us to understand your ways. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. So first, God's way of ruling. And I'll just quickly quick note, um, I only included like highlights from chapter 5 and from chapter 7 because like I'm preaching on basically the whole thing, 5, 6, 7, because remember how I talked about one of the first weeks in Revelation, how Revelation is like a movie trailer, right? And how it kind of gives us like this highlight reel of like the end of the world and like what is to come. So actually that movie trailer plays out, it repeats itself throughout Revelation. This is one of the first repetitions. We're like, all right, I'm just going to take the whole thing, take us through the movie trailer of like God's ways, what he's doing in history. Okay, so all that said, then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne, a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. We're going to go through this kind of quick. I, want, I really want to focus on like the last point. It's the best point. So we're going to buzz through this fairly quickly. The scroll is in God's right hand. It belongs to him. His scroll. So it's God's scroll. It's written within and on the back. So it means like duplex printed, right? Both sides. It's full of everything. It's like chock full of words, which are, you know, a king has the scroll, an edict, an order, and it's going to happen, right? These are the decrees of God. This scroll is everything God wants to happen in the world he's holding on to it god has a plan okay so what i want you to hear like he's got a plan for everything uh the bible says he's got a plan like every christian he chose you before the beginning of the world uh every hair on your head is numbered that's not like hyperbole he actually knows how many hairs are on your head and if one of them falls to the ground he notices that's the bible says uh every sparrow that's flying around and then you know, runs into a window or gets caught by, caught by a cat or something. That's sad. Sorry. I don't know why. <laughs> ha! Focus. Uh, he knows. He notices. That's what the Bible says. It doesn't say the cat part. Anyway, you get it. Uh, it even says uh, God has prepared good deeds for us to do even before we were saved. Like every aspect of our lives, if the hairs in your head are numbered, do you think God knows who you're going to marry? Yeah. Some of y'all, I've talked to some of y'all. Some of y'all are like, I don't think it really, like, God doesn't really know. It's just like, you got to find something. No, he knows. I'm not saying that it's like the perfect person for you. I'm just saying it's a person, right? He knows. And all of those details, all of those plans, all of that knowledge, it unfolds and happens within a larger plan that we can know. And God wants us to know it. So what did God want? Let's take ourselves back to these early churches in Turkey, modern-day Turkey, who Revelation is written to. Remember, it's a letter. What did he want them to know? You know, because they're living these pretty hard lives. They're, they're persecuted for their faith. They're not privileged. It's not like America where being a Christian is like kind of like, eh, not that good, not that bad. It's kind of fine, whatever. We don't really care. Like, people in their life were supposed to worship the emperor and only the emperor. And these guys are saying, no, actually, my only Lord is Jesus. And sometimes they're dying for it. What does God want them to know and be ready for? He wants them to know, hey, guys, history unfolds in three stages. And here they are, okay? Throne trials triumph throne trials triumph that's the three stages we see that in this chapter five six seven so chapters four and five really the throne first one chapter four we were there last week the beauty of the throne room chapter five where we're starting here we see who sits on the throne and the that the throne has a plan 
It starts with the throne. Then it goes to trials, chapter 6. It's not included, not because it's not important, it's just because it's like long. <laughs> the whole of chapter 6 is like these seals are opened one by one. The seals on this scroll and uh, hard times figured like horsemen just like roll out and do terrible stuff on the earth. That's saying like trials, hard times, suffering, that's actually part of God's plan. That may be hard for you to hear. I want to talk to you about that. We can schedule a meeting. The next two weeks, actually, we're going to look, dig in on that reality. How is suffering part of the plan of God? How do we deal with that? How do we relate to Him in that? Throne, trials, and then chapter 7, triumph. It ends in salvation. It ends in God winning, God's victory. Okay, so all of this, throne, trials, triumph, that is a summary of what plays out between Jesus' resurrection and His return. So that's what I, I just gave you the history of the AD world, I guess, all the way until whenever it ends and Jesus comes back in, I don't know, five, six sentences. That's what the Bible says about it. Throne, trials, return. It tells us how to interpret each one of those things. God is telling us that this is the story playing out right now in this age between the resurrection of Jesus and his return, which, I don't know if you caught this, the portion that we're in is trials. <laughs> So if your life is really hard right now, if you're suffering, if you're suffering for your faith, or you're just suffering in general, sickness, mental illness, friendship issues, family issues, yeah, that's what time it is. That makes sense. And God has written his word to you to help you understand how to navigate those things. It's not an accident. He's in control. Okay. So it's the, the story of the entire age. Jesus rises from the dead, ascends into heaven, and is seated on the throne. His people, who he calls his body, then suffer many trials, and then eventually Jesus comes back in triumph. Okay, throne, trials, triumph. But it's also, get this, it's also the life story of every Christian. It's the spiritual life story of every Christian. Okay, so throne, Ephesians 2.6, and God raised, past tense, when we were saved, God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Seated us where? On the throne. Throne. That's where our spiritual lives begin. Trials. Philippians 1.29 For to you, Christians, it has been granted for Christ's sake not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. The Bible talks about suffering as though it has been a, it's a gift to you used by God to shape you into the person he wants you to be. And he carries you through it. Throne, trials, triumph. 2 Timothy 2.12 if we endure, we also will reign with him. Not just kind of squeak through and like barely make it through, like beneath, through the crack in the door of heaven and like, I made it, but like reign with Christ. Triumph. God is telling you, this is playing out in history right now and in your life right now, if you're in Christ. Which, listen, that's a pretty big claim. That's something we have to decide if we believe or not. So if you're here and you're like, that, okay, number one, don't understand what you're saying. Number two, don't believe it. Like, I understand this is a hard thing to believe, but something I want to suggest to you. One reason to believe is that we see this pattern in the stories that we love the most. Well, that I love the most. I hope you love them too. Some of the stories. Okay, so Harry Potter, the chosen one, he defeats Voldemort as a baby before his life hardly begins. So like throne, right? He's the chosen one only to suffer through a terrible childhood at the Dursleys, who are the worst. Who's read Harry Potter? Throw, throw your hands real quick. Okay, good. Most of you. Half? All right. 
Okay, terrible child of the Dursleys, many misadventures at Hogwarts, the School of Witchcraft, and wizard, Wizardry trials, okay? To ultimately triumph over Voldemort in the end. Sorry, spoiler alert, too late, but he triumphs in the end. So, like, that pattern is in that story. Uh, Aragorn, <laughs> Lord of the Rings, rightful heir to the throne of Gondor. He's the king, right? Throne. But... He rejects his birthright, lives a life of service and humility in which he's joined by those who follow him through hard times, trials, to finally be crowned and acknowledged as the king. Triumph. Okay, same pattern. Uh, Captain America. Right, so like, he's medically modified into a cross between like a model and a superhero. Not sure what's going on there. But like, he's, so he's like the best, right? The throne, only to be buried in Arctic ice for a few decades. Trials before being unearthed and helping to defeat Thanos and going to live with his long-lost love, Peggy, right? The triumph. Yes, like, let's go. Captain America is my favorite. He's the best Avenger. He just is. Sorry. We could go on, right? There's probably stories that are coming to y'all's mind that follow this pattern. These stories aren't beautiful because we love them, right? We love them and find them beautiful because they are true to the story that God is writing in the universe, in the world, in our lives, they ring true because our hearts resonate with that story. We long for that story. We crave it. It's the story we were made for. And good news, guys, that story is happening. Not a fairy tale in real life right now. As an aside, um, again, I'll just say the suffering part that like this life now, a key feature is suffering. That is hard to wrangle with. When you, all of you who are going through suffering right now know like it's not comfortable, it's not easy, there's no pretty bow on the top of it. Jesus doesn't make life easy, he just makes life possible. Right? He doesn't make suffering easy, he just makes suffering well and enduring possible. I would love to talk to you about that if you're in a hard spot right now. But what I want to zoom in now is on the payoff of the storyline. Like to look at the result. It ends in triumph. What is that triumph? How does that happen? God's way of gathering. Okay, second point here. In this, in this passage of chapter 7, I want you to notice who God gathers, how he gathers them, and where he gathers them. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, there they are again, those white robes, with palm branches on their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They've washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. And He who sits on the throne will shelter them with His presence. So, who, how, where? Who does God gather? Look at this, guys. Don't, don't gloss over this. A great multitude that no one could number from every nation from all tribes and peoples and languages. Every tribe, every nation, every ethnicity, every people, every language. God is bringing all things. This is how it ends. The storyline ends all things brought to the obliteration of oppression, the resolution of racism, the purification of prejudice towards joyful unity. This isn't a pipe dream. Like, this isn't just something we dream about and, like, you know, try to fix in our own communities. This is going to happen. This is, like, goal number one of the God of the universe. <laughs> if you care about this, this is good news. He cares about this a lot. This is what he tells us. Every nation, every tribe, that's awesome.
At long last, we will stand side by side before the throne with only love between us. How does he gather them? Crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne of the Lamb. These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have what? They have washed their robes and made them white in what? In the blood of the Lamb. Salvation in the blood. God gathers us by bleeding for us. The Lamb is Jesus. We're going to come back to this in the next point. But I want you to like, just don't miss it. Don't skip past it. The way God brings about the end of oppression and racism is by bleeding for his people. Man, I love that. Where does he gather them? Where does God gather them? He who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. God gathers us one day to shelter us in his presence. I don't know how you feel about the presence of God. That, that can be shaped by your experience of the, your presence in the church, the presence of your parents, presence of a pastor in your life. When God gathers us into his sheltering presence, we are sheltered. We are safe. What would it be like to, be feel, to feel totally safe, fully secure, like the homecoming of homecomings, safe from harm, from all your failures, safe from your shame, safe from gossip, safe from the sin of others, safe from death and injury? God will shelter those who belong to him with his presence. Like his presence means safety. It's like my kids. So <laughs> uh, maybe like last week we discovered my youngest son, James, two years old. Um, he's wonderful. He is terrified, as it turns out, of those little robot vacuums. We have one. It's got like those little spinny things that go and he's like, ah! I mean, one of the scariest I've ever seen him was when that thing turned on and he was like, whoa! And immediately, what does he do? He turns, bolts for me, jumps in my arms like, Daddy, catch me! So I catch him and I hold him safe. And I'm like, it's okay, buddy. And I leave the room and everything. But he runs to me because my presence means safety. Right? That is how God is for you. That's what he says. He shelters you with his presence. I hope that makes you want to be with God. I hope it makes you understand history a little bit better. Like where it's going. It's going to this gathering of every tribe, nation. But we have to admit... All of this, if you're sitting here like, that all feels a little theoretical, kind of out there. Yeah, it is. It's a little theory. It's like the future. Okay, we're talking about the mind of God, his ways. Hard to like really sink our teeth into. So when you're reading a passage in the Bible, and you're like, what is going, what's going on here? <laughs> is it talking about God or like the old Israelites? Or like, you should look for Jesus because every page of the Bible is pointing to Jesus, describing Jesus, talking about Jesus, foreshadowing Jesus, fulfilled by Jesus. Look for Jesus. So we're going to look for Jesus in this passage because he's God in the flesh. He shows up and shows us, hey, I know you're confused about God. Just look at me. I'm him. So like now you can know. So let's go look at Jesus. Where is he in this passage? Look at me back at 5, 5 through 6. Okay. Remember the seals uh, this is leading into my final point here. Remember the seals on the scroll that nobody could open? And uh, John starts to weep. He's like crying because this means the plan of God can't happen. The scroll can't be opened. He's weeping. Nobody could open it. And no one in heaven on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or look into it. One of the elders, though, said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, has conquered, so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. So who is this guy? Who is this mysterious figure? 
line of the tribe of Judah. So Genesis 49, first book in the Bible, way back, describes as a prophecy about the descendant of this guy, Judah, one of those 12 patriarchs. And it says that this descendant will reign forever. He'll be a king forever. Matthew 1 tells us Jesus is a descendant of which person? Yeah, Judah. He reigns forever. So it's Jesus. The root of David. Isaiah 53 describes a suffering servant. Okay, a suffering servant that people mock and hate. And there's nothing about him that would make us attracted to him. And yet, he's also the root of David. He's the source of David. David is this like powerful king in the Old Testament. He is like an awesome king. He takes care of God's people. It's saying this suffering servant is also the root of David. Actually, uh, uh, later on in um, Revelation, Jesus says, I'm the root of David. Okay, so it's Jesus. Here's where it gets nuts, though. Okay, so Jesus, foretold as the root of David, the conquering lion of Judah, how is he portrayed tangibly in this passage? Not as a lion, not as a kingmaker. I saw a lamb standing, as though it had been slain, with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Quick aside, seven horns, seven eyes. Let's not get hung up on that. Again, apocalyptic literature. Not trying to tell us what Jesus looks like. It's trying to tell us what he's like. So seven spirits, the spirits of wisdom. Eyes represent wisdom. The spirits of strength. Horns represent strength. Okay, so he's this lamb standing as though he had been slain, full of wisdom, full of strength. This is one of the central key passages in all of Revelation, in all of the entire Bible. We have to understand it. Here at the launch of this three-chapter episode in which God shows us his plan for history, he wants us to know how does he unleash his power? How does the scroll get open? What's like the key? What does it turn on? How does the ignition start that starts this engine of history rolling forward? Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. This is the way... God wins. This is his way of winning. Final point here. How was the lion conquered? How did Jesus conquer? By becoming as weak and vulnerable as a lamb. A lamb that was killed, but somehow came back to life. A lamb standing as though it had been slain. Right? So, the top secret of time. This is, if you want to understand history, if you're an economics person, a history person, if you're just a person that wants to know what's going on in the world, the top secret of time, the riddle of reality the key of chronology, the mystery of history, is that the conquering lion became a lamb who gained the throne by being slaughtered. This is not the way our broken world usually works. So uh, some of you, most of you, were really young when this happened, lived through this, the big housing bubble burst in 2008, the big recession. So... Economists, you can correct me, basically how that works, it actually matters for this. Lots of people with bad credit, buying a lot of houses they can't afford because banks are letting them because they're making money off of it, which drives home prices up and home values up because houses are being sold like crazy, prompting the government to raise interest rates more and more and more to kind of slow things down. So then the housing bubble bursts in 2008 with when a lot of these homeowners that had poor credit couldn't really afford the home in the first place, they can't pay their loans, they default or go bankrupt. The high interest rates didn't really help. Um, this floods the market with available homes, which drives the prices down and down and down. So it's like exponentially 
huge crash, tons of people, some of, the, some of your parents probably, homes foreclosing, bankruptcy, the whole economy takes a massive nosedive. Everybody's you know retirement funds are just like down in the bottom. The movie, The Big Short, if you've seen this, tells the story of how several men predicted all of it. They knew it was going to happen. They saw it coming. They saw the signs. And while everybody else was just like, yeah, buy homes, great, give loans, awesome, approve mortgages, they were like, uh, this is going to burst soon. And so what do they do about it? Being bankers and investment and financiers, guys, they bet against the market. They went to banks. They said, hey, we're going to bet against with all our money, billions. And the banks were happy to take that bet because they're like, what are, you, what are you talking about? You're crazy. Like, this is working great for us. Take the bet. Banks lost. America lost. Those guys get crazy wealthy, super wealthy. Funny thing is they felt kind of bad about it. <laughs> they're like, we wish we were right, but we were, but at least we're going to get rich off of it. This is the way it usually works. Life is a zero-sum game. For somebody to win, somebody else has to lose. That's just... If you're going to do well in life, somebody else is going to get a little bit less. If you make more money, somebody else makes a little bit less. That's just the way it works. To, for there to be a buyer, there to be a seller who has less money at the end of it. Jesus Christ invites us into a different way, guys. A better way. A better kingdom by dying for us. Why death? Wasn't there a better way, right? Couldn't he have like find some kind of special way to like make it work? It had to be death because you and I were destined for death. That's what we deserve, you guys. We were on the chopping block and he was the only one who could take our place. He's the only one who could take the place for all of us. We deserve death, eternal death, hell forever because of the things that we've done through our own best efforts. Even those deserve death for us. But just like the movies we love, Jesus took our place to die that we might live. Denzel Washington and Man on Fire, watch that movie. Frodo and Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter and... Harry Potter. <laughs> Katniss Edward in The Hunger Games... William Wallace and Braveheart, Miller's Men and Saving Private Ryan. Revelation 5 is saying these aren't just stories, you guys. This is your story. You're in this story. Your king saved you by dying for you. And that changes things. So two things it changes, guys. To walk out of here tonight, how do we live different in light of this? It changes your posture, your posture in the world. If history moves forward by this kind of loving, self-sacrificing king who takes the throne by dying... There is no room for self-serving, for pride, for self-obsession. The things you know, that Jesus died on the cross to save us from, those things are powerless to move history forward in any way that matters. Right? You can get ahead, but history, the thing God is doing in the world, is not going to be moved forward by you doing that. The ends do not justify the means in the economy of God. The cross of Jesus prescribes the means and guarantees the end. So get low. Get humble. Pain before gain, guts before glory. Walk willingly into the grave that you might experience the resurrection. It looks like apologizing to somebody. It looks like rejects, rejecting the secret of delight, the sweetness that we love of gossip that actually hurts people and hurts us. It might look like for the first time admitting to your, that your own best efforts, that they're just not good enough that you're a bad person like me and admitting you need the help of the God who loves you and who died for you. It might look like changing your career path from you know, the one that makes you look good and is good for you to one that makes your family think you're wasting your life but is good for other people. It might look like slaughtering your public image by just admitting your struggles and insecurities to a friend. That's terrifying. <laughs> it definitely looks like putting God's standard ahead of your desires 
postponing sexual expression until marriage, abstaining from alcohol until you're 21. Unpopular opinion, I'm sorry. That's what it looks like to die to yourself to follow Jesus. These are hard calls to obedience. Some of you are doing them, right? I know some of you. I've had these conversations. I know some of you are doing them. And you know it's hard. It is hard. But it's not as hard as dying. And if Jesus died for us, we can do these things in response to his love. 1 Peter 5, 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. He loves you enough to die for you and raise you with him to glory. So, respond to his love and follow his pattern. I just want to close with Philippians 2. Okay, Philippians 2, 5-11, through 11, classic meditation on the way Jesus was, how we can live that out. So, stick this in your brain as we leave here. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped, held on to, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, every knee, every nation, every tribe, every ethnicity, every knee in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we just ask that you would marinate us in your ways. Your ways are not our ways. I mean, you say that in your word. Your ways are not our ways. We don't live this way. We don't really want to live this way most of the time. And yet you tell us that your way is the way of salvation. Your way is the way history ends in triumph. And it's beautiful. Show us the beauty. Help us to live out the beauty. Help us to get low that you might lift us up in due time. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.